The following podcast is a discussion between two experts in their fields of beauty and not meant to be taken as medical advice. Be sure to consult with your doctor if you have any medical inquiries. Hi, this is Dr. Neil Shaw, and you're listening to Masters of Beauty. So I'm really excited about this next podcast because it affects so many of us, and this is acne scars. And I'm going to be joined by an expert in acne scars. His name is Dr. Todd Schlesinger. Dr. Schlesinger, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, has written over 100 peer-reviewed publications, book chapters, presentations, and he's a board-certified dermatologist. He's located in South Carolina. And he's going to talk about ways that this can be treated. Um, we're going to go back and forth and talk about our different techniques of treating acne scars and what's worked for us. I met him at the Miami Global Aesthetics Conference, and uh, we both bonded over our ponytails. So we had a lot of fun talking about acne scars and our different approaches to it. So uh, look forward to this podcast. I think you guys will enjoy it. I am honored to be joined our esteemed uh, dermatologist from South Carolina. This is Dr. Todd Schlesinger. Um, he has a ginormous practice. Um, he is super knowledgeable about what we're going to be talking about, which is acne scars. He's written over 100 peer-reviewed publications. He's a Mohs surgeon, clinical investigator, trained at Cleveland Clinic, um, has a three-office dermatology and dermatologic surgery uh, practice. Um, and his area of research is kind of all over these areas that we're going to be discussing, which is inflammatory uh, dermatologic processes, cutaneous oncology, and cosmetic dermatology. We're going to be focusing on acne scars. I know we could talk about these things for a long time. So I'm super honored to be presenting our guest today, uh, Dr. Todd Schlesinger. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you. And that's a, you know, some wonderful things you said. I appreciate that. But first and foremost, I'm a dermatologist and um, you know, excited about taking care of my patients. Love it. Love it. Okay. So super common uh, thing that goes on is um, uh, we're going to be just kind of jumping into this acne scars. So um, you're an expert in acne scars. I kind of want to know um, before we get started talking about acne scars, let's get our audience just a little bit of background about it. So what are acne scars? So acne scars are basically uh, different um, uh, depressions or uh, problems with the skin that occur after the inflammation that occurs, you know, when acne. And, you know, it's a little bit of a complex cascade of how we get there, you know, to an acne scar. But basically what you have is the, the core, the core problem is inflammation. And when you have inflammation, you have a breakdown of collagen through, you know, kind of the innate immune system pathways. You know, these are the pathways that occur when we're, you know, first cut our skin, we're injured by back, you know, injured and we get bacteria, fungus or yeast in our skin, we have inflammation. And so the first part of our immune system that will come up and attack that is our innate immune system. So what happens is you have breakdown of collagen and, you know, our body can never really break, never really restore collagen as well as it, uh, you know, as well as it was when it was first made after inflammation. So when you have that breakdown of, of collagen from inflammation, you're talking about matrix proteinases, things like that, that destroy collagen with inflammation. When that's rebuilt, when that collagen is rebuilt, it's never going to be as good as it was when it was new. And then you end up with, you know, with various types of acne scars. So that's sort of like the, in a nutshell, process of how we get there. So we mentioned acne scar grading, and let's talk about it. So the, the scale I like is the, uh, the four grade scale. And the first grade is pretty superficial um, acne scars. It can be some hyper hypopigmented um, marks. The second grade is mild acne scarring, which is mild atrophy of the scars. The third 
grade is going to be moderate, and that's going to be uh, grading that cannot be covered up by makeup, um, but can sometimes be flattened by stretching the skin. And the final is severe, uh, where even if you're flattening your skin and stretching it, uh, your scars are still going to be present. Do, do you like the term acne scar? Because, you know, when I think of a scar, it, it, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, it's like a scar is an abnormal healing process. When I think of a scar, sometimes we get, we think of things like the Frankenstein jagged raised scar through here. I think of the term acne scar is kind of a misnomer. I think of an acne scar as being sort of a, it's like an, I think a better term might be acne depression because it seems like almost all the time we're trying to you know, create the void that's been left behind by these inflammatory processes you just described. Yeah. And I think that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I feel like there is scar tissue there. So, you know, while you do have an abnormality in the contour of the skin, in some cases, uh, you know, underneath that underlying that you have uh, abnormal collagen deposition. And so by definition, I mean, that inflammation creates an, ab you know, the, that inflammation creates abnormal collagen deposition, you know, as it, you know, as that healing process occurs, you know, after it's been broken down your body, you know, your body creates collagen, you know, via a certain pathway, um, you know, in, in, as we're born or as our bodies develop, or as our skin develops, but when you destroy that collagen, whether it's by surgery or radiation or whatever it be, it just never can heal quite the same, even with fillers. I mean, we're creating, you know, uh, inflammation with even fillers that we use and that creates some type of abnormal deposition, which I would consider to be, you know, definition of scar. Okay. Um, so for patients with acne, so I have some teenage daughters, um, they have acne. What percentage of patients are you going to say are going to have this abnormal process with developing acne scars? How common is this? Um, you know, statistically, I say it was, it's actually fairly common. You know, I don't know the guess of what the prevalence is, but I would just sort of say, uh, you know, most of my patients probably that have acne, you know, end up without, you know, permanent scarring. They might have erythema, you know, which could be, you know, treated as you know, they're scarring under maybe some scarring underneath that, but most of the time, you know, they, they end up doing okay. It's when you get that inflammatory case. So, so it kind of would correlate in parallel with the, the prevalence of our more inflammatory uh, cases of acne. So, you know, I'm guessing probably 10 to 20% of my, you know, of patients that have acne generally are going to have a more severe form that's going to result in scarring, probably at the minimum. So we're talking about the prevalence of acne scars and it's super common. 80% of patients between the ages of 11 and 30 will have acne. And I know many adults older than 30 who have acne. And I actually think that I have yet to meet someone who's never had acne or, or had a pimple. And it says one out of five patients will have some type of scarring. I believe that number is higher. Some publications related as high as 33%. And if you really look closely at someone's skin, you can almost find some type of acne scar. So it's very ubiquitous uh, within our society. Okay, and let's define acne scarring just even a little further. So you mentioned uh, inflammatory. So there's that post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or PIH, which is super common after a lot of things, but especially acne scarring. There's the depression aspect of scars that we kind of alluded to earlier. And then uh, some patients, I think that's less common, at least I see uh, patients with raised scars from acne. Right, so it's totally, totally accurate. Uh, you know, you can break down acne scars into sort of three broad categories. One is the hypertrophic scars, which you had mentioned is a change of, in the contour, sort of an elevated change, about 10 to 15% of the scars are that. Uh, 
you know, and then you have, of course, your pigmented lesions where you just have flat, you know, dark discoloration, which is a small percentage. But the vast majority of the scars that we see in clinic that we deal with on a day to day basis are atrophic acne scars, you know, 85 to 90% of the things we deal with are atrophic. And then when you have atrophic scars, you can break those down into three more detailed categories, which a lot of people know is number one, you have ice pick scars, which are your small um, sort of depressions less than two millimeters. You've got your rolling scars, which are more of a curve, more of a, like a, a bowl, four to five millimeters, generally in diameter. And then you have your sort of boxcar scars, boxcar scars look just like that, like a straight edges, straight down edges, and then a flat base, which would be kind of more consistent with, um, you know, sort of, you know, a, a, you know, just think of a, um, a shipping container, sort of that kind of type of scar. And those can range anywhere between 1.5 and four millimeters, sort of on average. So um, most of the scars that we deal with that we can treat easily are the rolling scars or that middle category. Um, but, you know, certainly those are the most common ones we see. So you mentioned different subtypes of acne scars, and let's expand upon that. So ice pick scars are these really narrow scars uh, that are found uh, with some acne scars, and they're deeper, um, and they look just like little pinpoints. Um, the rolling scars tend to be broader in shape, box scars tend to be more delineated, and then kind of the rare scars we see, but they're still present are hypertrophic scars or raised scars, those typically don't happen as much with acne scars, and then post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, which is the skin discoloration, which can look like scarring, but it's mostly pigment in the skin. Okay, so uh, what have you used to try acne scars in the past? And then what are you doing now? And why did you switch? Right. So I can say there's been a really interesting evolution in the treatment of acne scars. Of course, you know, we have all kinds of things that we used to use. Uh, uh, we might have used uh, in excision of various kinds, depends on the type of scar, you know, subcision, excision, punch excision, things like that have been around for a long time. Of course, we've used lasers and lighter skin, uh, you know, depending on what type of skin we have. Uh, we've used ablative, non-ablative, we use peels, uh, you know, all kinds of different things that we use. But I think we've evolved more into being more nuanced in how we treat our acne scars and especially sort of as it relates toward skin type, uh, especially, you know, skin of color versus not skin of color. So, you know, with skin of, you know, that is lighter color, of course, you can be a little bit more aggressive on using ablative lasers or maybe non-ablative fractional devices to sort of help us with our rolling acne scars. Box scars are tough. You know, they really need surgery for the most part, you know, excision, some, you know, is, or resurfacing is great. Uh, but now we have the advent of all these new energy-based devices. So we've got um, a radio frequency devices, uh, high frequency ultrasound devices and things that can sort of help us more, you know, with those rolling scars, you know, that they're still like the easiest ones to treat in general sense with microneedling. And then, then the advent of, you know, fillers has sort of come along in the past few years that we've been able to really learn how to use fillers better. And then combination therapy is really where it's at. And it, it really depends on the type of scar you're dealing with, uh, the patient's pension for downtime, and then the skin type. So really, those are the three main categories you sort of think about when, you know, deciding how to treat a patient with, you know, the scarring. Okay, so let, let's kind of break this down a little further. We're going to kind of go into some nuances here. Um, so a fair skin patient, we'll start with that. Um, how effective do you think just pure ablative lasers? So for the audience, we'll kind of define ablative. Um, uh, ablative uh, lasers are those that take off that top layer. So you're going to kind of ablate layer after layer of skin until you get deeper into the uh, depth of the skin to kind of improve that. Um, and so um, which ablative lasers have you tried and which ones are you still using 
uh, for your fair skin patients? Yeah, so uh, um, those are great questions and a great explanation of how you lay that out. Uh, we're still using uh, a non-ablative fractional such as a 1540 laser. Um, other might, others might have a 1927 laser. You know, when you're dealing with uh, the acne scars that are more superficial, so they're not really too deep into the second layer down, you know, not the epidermis, but the dermis, uh, then that's a great place to, you know, to use an ablative laser. An ablative laser is something like carbon dioxide laser where you're really um, ablating the surface off and the patient's going to have recovery and downtime. That's a really a one to 1.5 millimeter depth at the most that you're, you know, going to be going down. You go too much deeper and you're going to be, you know, creating more scarring from that, which we don't want to do. So if it's more shallow scars and sometimes for, you know, softening boxcar scars and, and for making ice pick scars more soft, but not completely ablating them and removing them because you can't all the way down, you have to do surgery. Uh, you can use the the various lasers. When you have dermal scars, you know, where you have the, the rolling scars that are a little bit deeper, the non-ablative, if you're talking lasers, non-ablative lasers would uh, 1540, you know, anything in that wavelength range, I mean, 1540 to 1927, all the way up to your Erbium 2940 lasers. That's the range you're going to be working in the most, but mainly if you're working in that non-ablative range of 1540, that's where you're going to get a penetration deep into the dermis without ablating, without causing more scarring. And I'd like to talk to people and thinking about it as aerating a golf course. You know, you see, they make these little plugs in the golf course and the goal is to, you know, let, let the grass grow in stronger when you make those plugs. That's kind of what you're doing with these non-ablative lasers is you're making plugs that go into the dermis of the skin, but you don't ablate the surface. So, it, you know, you can heal with healthier skin. Um, how many treatments do you need with a non-ablative laser and an ablative laser to um, get a, a difference in a difference where a patient's gonna be happy? Can you do it in one treatment? Does it need three treatments? Does it need five treatments? So the treatment number depends on the patient's uh, ability to tolerate downtime. And of course, the depth of the scar. So for a carbon dioxide laser, typically that's a one-time treatment. You know, you're doing the uh, a resurfacing of the scars. Uh, but many times what we're doing is we're doing, um, you can really tune that laser. So you can really tune a carbon dioxide laser to be a more ablative or less. You can set, you can make a lot of changes in the settings. So sometimes you'll do a series of five treatments that are lighter ablative and get some nice results with that. Uh, and oftentimes with the non-ablative fraction of the 1540, all those different ones, those are typically at least five treatments for acne scars. I'd err on the higher side, err on a little bit less power and a little bit more treatment time, you know, a little bit more treatment number, now, depending on the skin type of lighter skin, you can tolerate a little bit, you know, higher settings and you can maybe do it in less treatments, but you know, it's an evolution and, you know, with acne, you know, acne scars to sort of get them to turn around and build that new collagen. And sometimes you need maintenance depends on the, depends on the patient. Okay, so we're going from lasers. We're going to kind of shift over to some of the other devices you mentioned. Um, so radio frequency devices um, and with radio frequency needling. Um, uh, for the audience, again, these are devices with energy at the tips of the needle. Um, you can go a little bit deeper than we've talked about. You can go half a millimeter, one millimeter, two millimeters, three millimeters, four millimeters. What's been your experience with radio frequency devices? Is there a device of choice you like? And is there anything you're looking for in those? You know, there's not a device of choice. I haven't, for me, I mean, I haven't really jumped a lot into these devices because there's been so many coming out. Um, I've focused mainly on laser devices and microneedling and fillers in my practice. Um, you know, I think with COVID and um, I have an article in Practical Durham kind of co coming about this in January, speaking about the changes that occurred during COVID. I was very careful about what devices I purchased during this time. The, the, the pandemic and the financial crisis that occurred, I think, you know, for a lot of people, 
really, I think, made a lot of people think about what they were buying. So there's so many devices out there, and they're still as of yet unproven. You know, I think that um, there's a substantial equivalence. So a lot of these radio frequency devices there on the market. So I don't have like one I would pick. I know everybody's got their favorite device, um, but I feel like being real careful about what you buy is important and really understanding it and what your return on investment is going to be. Because, you know, nowadays, you, know, you can't just buy things that sit in the corner, you have to be very careful about what you buy, you know, because, you know, you know, you know, people are still recovering from, you know, we're all busy back again, but we're still recovering. So, you know, I can't say I've jumped heavily into the RF microneedling, I think it would be great for patients uh, who have darker skin. So if you're looking to treat acne scars in our darker skin patients, that's actually a nice thing to do because you're generating, you're still generating some heat. So you still run the risk of the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, which is also generally inflammation based, but at the same time, you know, you're also able to uh, affect a better outcome than you might just get with micro with microneedling alone, but still, I'm not sure the data is really there to support it full, you know, full bore yet. So we're talking about radio frequency devices, and uh, I happen to love radio frequency devices, and it is one of my uh, secret weapons for treating acne scars. Uh, radio frequency devices go a little bit deeper than uh, many lasers, and the benefit is you can go deeper and bypass the epidermis and dermis. So the radio frequency device I use in my practice is a Morpheus. Um, again, different backgrounds. You know, it's, it's cool that I love this. Um, you know. Uh, Dr. Schlesinger, the first time I met you was at a multi-specialty conference. I love collaborating with, you know, so, so many people with different expertise. And uh, obviously your knowledge of the skin is going to be vastly superior to mine. Uh, but again, I think more like a surgeon, which again, maybe that's not the best approach for acne scars. Uh, but that being said, um, the radio frequency devices, I've, I've jumped into the in-mode um, family. Um, I like the depth of penetration. I like the fact that probably I'm in Chicago, you're in South Carolina, where I have a lot of patients from um, you know, I, I rarely have a Fitzpatrick one uh, patient who's coming in. I have more of the, um, you know, kind of more of a uh, multicultural ethnic path, uh, pathway. So I, I really can't use, um, you know, many of the other laser devices, um, you know, for me. Uh, but that being said, it doesn't mean one device is better or worse. It's all about, you know, what has you, what have you tried and what experience have you used uh, each device with? For the CO2 and, um, and, and have you tried ever cross TCA or pinpoint irradiation of any other techniques out there? and um you know for discrete scars like acne pick scars and stuff like that are you into yeah that? so cross cross technique um you know we have tried that i mean i have used that i think you're, you know it, it's a, it's an older technique developed 2002 it's been around for a while um and basically what you're doing is you're doing you know you're doing chemical reconstruction of skin scars is what cross means uh you know in that technique you're taking possibly you know either 99 percent or 100 percent tca on an ice uh, on a little uh uh, toothpick and you're treating just the center of your ice pick scar. We have done that. I like that for lighter skin patients and darker skin patients. You also have to be very diligent about wound care uh, afterwards because you can get hypopigmentation quite easily with that. So uh, it's something, it's not a go-to. I'm aware of it. We've tried it. I'd much rather use um, a combination of punch excision followed by resurfacing. If I'm going to be treating ice pick scars, uh, punch excising the scars and then resurfacing the whole, the whole field has worked well in my hands and it'll gives you a little bit more of a, and I do understand that, you know, we also have um, a fair amount of skin of color, maybe not as big as your is a large percentage of our practice is yours, but in the 25% range for us. So we do have to balance that. So, you know, in skin of color patients, it might be punch excision and microneedling or RF, things like that. And, you know, in, in other patients, it might be a combination of punch excision with 
uh, laser. I just feel I get better control with a CO2 laser than I would with uh, TCA cross. Yeah, I, I think I, I've kind of moved on from cross TCA as well. I think one of the issues I've had with cross TCA, like you're talking about, is number one is control. Um, you can't control your depth uh, quite as accurately. You worry about spillage um, with the TCA going above and beyond the area that you're treating. Um, but I think the con concept of treating just the scar at a higher change than the other area is kind of like a targeted um, targeted fractionated approach. So kind of that mind feel, but you're targeting the minds that you want to treat. I love the concept of that, but I think, again, it's a little bit of a higher risk, higher reward. Um, I've dabbled in pinpointer radiation, which is similar to cross TCA, where I've, I've done the CO2 and I've gone stronger with the CO2 with like a discrete beam into the scars themselves and, um, and then kind of fractionating over that. And that, that seems to be a little bit more controlled than that. But again, I think they're all, it's all semantics. They all kind of work in a similar way. You're, you're using, uh, there you're using the punch. Um, I haven't used the punch as much, so help, help me understand that a little bit. So you're around each scar, use the punch. Do you suture it up? Do you remove the skin? Like what, what goes on with that, with that approach? And then what yeah. do patients expect with that technique? Yeah. So, I mean, my goal for punches, you know, you know, if you look at the scar underneath the skin, you know, there is, it is going to have some, some sort of roots, you know, to the scar underneath the skin. So you have to be careful not to use too small of a punch. If you punch out the scar to the center of the scar and leave the periphery of the scar present, then most likely that scar will recur. So you have to do a, a punch that's large enough or, or a small excision that's large enough. Sometimes the elliptical punches are very helpful. And you've probably seen those, um, you know, they were kind of the craze for a while, but using a punch like that and then bringing normal skin back to normal skin and then, you know, helping those scars heal with silicone, topical silicone, uh, you know, to really get a nice outcome, letting, you know, having suture removal, silicone therapy after, and then moving into the CO2 laser has worked quite nicely. I think that that's a nice technique to use. The key is you have to get normal skin back to normal skin. So because if you're, if you punch it out too small, it'll most likely come back. You get, you've got a recurrence of the scar and other depression will form in the same area. So, it, you know, it's not all foolproof. You punch out, you know, 10 scars, maybe eight of them will do great and a couple of them won't. So sometimes you have to, you know, punch them again or, 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 or treat those another way. So it's not foolproof, but it's very helpful. Um, you mentioned substitution earlier. Um, do you have a, a filler of choice? Um, do, you, do you use filler with substitution? Do you use them independently? And do you use filler for your scars too? Yeah. So I think that's, you know, one of the newer things that's, you know, been talked about is, you know, so basically subcision, the way I look at it to explain it is based, you're basically creating PRP. So when you subsize underneath the scar, you're breaking up the, the collagen fibrils that connect the dermis down to deeper tissue that's created, right? But if you go in there and you subsize, you're breaking that up and you're filling, you're breaking up, creating a pocket and filling the pocket with blood. So the pocket will fill with blood. You'll get some regenerative tissue, you know, regeneration going on. And then you'll sort of fill that scar. Some swelling will occur, uh, but over time that will settle. So, and then you'll end up with a scar and maybe not as bad, but you'll end up with a similar, you know, scar after time has passed. So the way to combat that is to introduce a filler into the scar. And also for a number of years, we're using hyaluronic acid and different things uh, to treat. But of course, those are temporary and they don't really have the lifting and holding power of some of the uh, more long lasting fillers. So the, the PMMA, the polymethacromet methacrylate filler has become the sort of filler of choice from my practice. And then one of the main reasons is it has an approval. So um, it's the only filler that's got an uh, actual approval for acne scars. Uh, so, and there's, you know, paper published that's 12 year, you know, 12, 12 months data on acne scars with two treatments. So that's been uh, out there for a while. So, you know, in, in my practice, I've been combining um, the combination of subcision plus Bellafil and then microneedling as well. Those three things together 
can be quite nice for acne scars, microneedling, treating the surface and treating the general, you know, dermis and epidermis and sort of getting tissue remodeling going. Uh, the subcision followed immediately by placement of uh, PMMA microsphere filler underneath the skin can help sort of lift that acne scar. So when you have that, when the blood goes away and everything, all the swelling goes, you've got that support left behind with that uh, collagen carrier PMMA filler. So that, you know, is a nice option, but really it's best for treating rolling scars. It's not good for ice pick scars and it's not good for scars. You, you really want to treat that middle scar with it. Um, I think Belafil is kind of underreported how, how great of a product is for acne scars. I think it's been transformative for me treating acne scars. Um, it is uh, an amazing product, Belafil uh, PMMA. It's, it's got two components. It's a PMMA plus the collagen. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever had better results than when I've treated patients with some sort of, common, I say combination therapy with Belafil, because usually it's one component, like you mentioned earlier, you're going to treat with Belafil. And then the other components of the scar, you may have to kind of break down and kind of use some sort of uh, ablative or RF or needling a, 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 a device to kind of work with that. Um, why doesn't everyone use Belafil? Like what are some of the drawbacks of Belafil and should everyone be using Belafil or do you think it should be sort of like limited to uh, certain expert injectors? You know, I think the latter, I mean, I think the main thing about Belafil you have to remember is it, it's, it's, you know, it's a long lasting product. I mean, you know, we've got five-year data for the nasal alveolar fold for this filler. So in, in essence, it's a long lasting product, whether it's permanent or not, you know, we don't say that, but the bottom line is it's going to be there for a while. So the main things we've learned over the years with Belafil is quantity should be small. It's not a filler you want to bolus. It's a filler you want to nuance. Uh, and for acne scars, you know, you're subsizing, whether you're using the, the included needle, 26 gauge, 5 eighths needle that comes in the package or using a, a new core needle or some other thing, to, some other um, device to create subcision. You know, it requires training. I think Velifil can be used by expert, you know, filler practitioners, but they should get some, get their, their hands on it and they should, you know, get some training with someone who's experienced with it because there's a lot of nuances. It's, it's very different than, it's not an HA filler it's very different in the way it's much more viscous as far as the feel of it goes. The flow characteristics are much different than, uh, than HA fillers or PMMA, I mean, or, um, uh, calcium hydroxylapatite tight or, you know, sculpture or any of those other products. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't push forward in the needle. So you, you can't antegrade that product. You can't inject it forward. It's always going to be injected when you're moving backward with the needle for the most part. Uh, for acne scars, you have to kind of create a little pocket for it. You want to undercorrect when you're treating with Belafil. You want to plan on two treatments. So you, you can correct in layers with that product. And then you can go back, you know, three months later. I mean, the studies were done with one month between treatments in the, in the 12, 12 months data. But in reality, I find that the collagen remodeling process takes longer. So, you know, there's a whole nother, you know, we could talk for hours on just Belafil alone. But the reality, you know, from what you said, I feel like it is something that should be used by by practitioners who are very comfortable already with using all of the other products on the market. And then they should most likely receive some training from someone who's experienced at using the product because, you know, it's not one you can reverse easily. So. For sure. For sure. And I think this product, I think it probably should be limited to, if you're going to get treated with Belafil, I probably would encourage anyone listening to go to someone who is a very, very experienced injector. And I almost think that it's really nice if the injector has some sort of surgical training and, and for you for example you have the mose and you have the you're, you're used to doing surgery on the face you're used to kind of working with that so if you do run into a problem a you know how to handle it and b the other thing that's interesting with Belafil, 
is that um, you almost have to prep it like a surgery. Like it's not like normal HA where you prep it and prep the face. You almost have to, you have to assume that there is some sort of, there's bacteria on the skin, no matter how many times you prep it. So you have to be treating this super sterile. This is, I think, at least the way I inject it, it's almost like a sterile procedure. Right. I agree with you hundred percent. I think that um, we've learned a lot from the original studies because when the original five-year study was, was done, it wasn't really made clear to the investigators how to prep the skin. So I think they saw a little bit more complications. They saw a little more bacterial infections, things like that occurred. Not a huge number. It's still very small, but could be better. So now it's, you know, full HIPAA you know, scrub, uh, you know, clean as you go, you know, clean that inject constantly, you know, never, you know, everything's sterile and, you know, that we're touching. Uh, the patient is advised, you know, come in with clean skin, no makeup, things like that. So we're, we're, we're doing exactly what you said. We're being as clean as we can. Now, I think the other um, thing you should remember with Bellafil that our listeners should remember is that, you know, again, it's a not, it's not a fill you want to bolus, you know, so you're using small quantities, linear threading or small quantities deposit under acne scar. You're talking about 0.05 or 0.1 ml at the most per site, more on the smaller side. Um, and then when the, the areas that can be a little bit higher risk for um, infections are more the cheeks when we're treating the cheek area, that seems to be the area where I have seen in, in you know, I, I was a trainer for that company for, for three solid years and had a lot of experience with different train, you know, different folks out there around across the country. And what I saw was the area that was probably most likely to have as far as infection common, like abscess would be the cheek area. Uh, and the other thing about Bellafield to remember is that where it's not to be used. Uh, it shouldn't be used in underneath the eyes and periorbital tear troughs, probably not the best place. And then it's really contraindicated for lips. So anywhere we have that orbital muscle, that movement uh, is an area probably to stay away from with Bellafield, but it's very handy when it comes to uh, treating nasolabial folds for lifting in the, in the lateral face. I use it a lot. And then on acne scars, you know, it's really a winner. Like you had said, it's a hand sound, a very um, nice product to use. And I think once you've trained on it and learned how to use it, and I do agree with you, the surgical training is very helpful. Knowing the layers, knowing the planes, knowing your anatomy is key, you know, and then knowing the nuance of how to inject that product in a safe way uh, and what to look for as far as complications, because it's not, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, you can probably work on dissolving and doing some of the things you would normally do if you had a intravascular event, which is very rare, very rare with Bellafil. I mean, I, I can't even think of it. I mean, it's been, it really didn't occur in the studies. So, uh, but you should at least have some options. Do you think the skin looks better after Bellafil? Like not from a, like an acne scar perspective, but just better. I've had some patients tell me maybe it's the collagen component, but they feel like their skin just looks healthier after being injected with it. Have you noticed that? Observed that? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's that's a way. I mean, I think that the thing about Bellafil is you're really creating almost normal collagen with Bellafil. If you look carefully under the microscope, you'll see the microspheres and whatnot. But you're creating collagen that's pretty close to normal. You know, so you're really not creating scar tissue with that product, which is nice. And so, therefore, and it's, I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, it's not been studied. You know, because with uh, with uh, PLLA, with Sculptra, you know, we've got some studies that show dermal thickness improving. So I think with Bellafil, that is something. So I think you're onto something there. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't seen any kind of data, you know, showing der increase in dermal thickness with it, but it would make sense from a skin quality standpoint. If we're building new collagen, that we should have increased skin quality. I, I did not know that about Sculptra, but as an observation, a lot of my patients who use Sculptra, they just look better. Their skin looks healthier, but I guess that, uh, that makes sense. There's some data behind that. 
if a patient comes in and she says, I want to travel all the way to see Dr. Schlesinger, I want you to do 20 treatments on me at once. Will that work? Can you treat someone's acne scars with one treatment or is it going to need a couple of treatments or is it patient by patient? I'm sure it's very patient by patient. I was wary of that patient who comes in and says they want to have everything done at once. It always makes me a little nervous. Uh, I also want to be able to follow up on my patients. So I don't, I'm not really too thrilled about someone that says they're coming in from somewhere far and they're going to, I'm not going to be around. So I might defer that one and just not maybe choose not to be the doctor for that patient. Um, I want a patient who's going to, you know, that will follow up uh, someone that will allow me to sort of design a plan for them that 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 focuses on their needs. So um, you can't rush it. You know, you can't rush that. You can't rush Bell. Even Bell is at least two treatments. Uh, sometimes we're doing more uh, smaller amounts to sort of build those scars up instead of, you know, you're not overcorrecting, but a little bit undercorrecting a little bit and then having it build and building on top of that. Uh, so, and, and then of course, you know, acne scarring, as we know from, you know, a lot of publications in our experience, it's a really a, a, um, a combination therapy. It's a combination treatment condition. Not only, not, there's not one thing that treats, I believe, you know, everybody or nor can you blast them with, you know, a lot at once. Yeah. You're definitely worth traveling to see it just, as long as the patient's well, committed to seeing you for, you know, three or four treatments and willing to take that extra step to follow up with, but definitely you're worth seeing. Uh, I can say the same thing about you. I know you've got a fantastic practice and the fact that you're doing all these great educational things, it's, it's great. Um, but you know, just a general sense, yeah, the patient's going to be committed. Follow-up's key. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that, that bit of it, um, do you think there's any skincare products that work for acne scars? So is there any topical product you've seen that someone can put on their skin and they will get rid of acne scars, improve acne scars? What's your thought? So no, I think the short answer is there's not one thing I would recommend that's really going to make a difference uh, um, in combination with things that we already do to sort of help the health of the skin. You know, I would recommend the things that you might as well looking for growth factors, looking for, you know, things that I know will sort of help the collagen, but skin, you know, skincare products are very super, you know, very surface oriented. We've got a little bit of penetration data for a few of them, you know, a few of the topicals, but I think in combination to help skin quality, it's great, but you know, can you prescribe a topical product that's going to really affect acne scars in a meaningful way? I don't, I'm not so sure I would hang my hat on that, you know, at this time. Yeah. It, it's something that, you know, patients should be concerned about their skin, of course, but will it, get rid of their scars. And sometimes if you see an infomercial talking about removing acne scars, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to careful. have a product. It's, it's probably mm -hmm. not going to work if it's Saturday morning or late night on a infomercial. Yeah. Yeah. Usually when I'm watching them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, can you completely erase an acne scar? Can you make it so it's gone? If someone comes in like, I want my scars gone, I will do whatever it takes. Can you make my skin um, completely scar-free? I always remember that adage to um, under promise and over deliver. So I think that's the thing to think about there. So do we have great results sometimes? I think we do. Um, can we pro you know, guarantee that or can we legislate that to happen? Yeah, I think no, uh, but I, you know, I try to put together the best combination I can for the patient and tell them it's a partnership. So we're working together on it. We're, you know, we're doing this together. We're choosing our treatments together. We're working with their lifestyle, their scars, their goals. And, but uh, you know, is there no, there's no perfect in medicine. So I would say the answer to broad answer would be no, uh, but you know, sometimes you hit a home run. It's, it's improvement. It's um, it's, I have not, um, you know, been able to erase anything, but it, it's about improvement and saying, Hey, guess what? 
I feel more confident. And I, I think of things sometimes in terms of a radius that maybe you can see your scars from 12 feet away. And then maybe after the first treatment, it might be eight feet away and then six feet away. But if you're looking to look in that big mirror and look to see if you can see a scar, that's a really hard test, I think, for, um, you know, especially for a really deep pronounced scar. That's, that's right. And people tend to do that. And that's completely understandable. You know, if you have one thing done on your face, you're going to be scrutinizing, you know, and that's, you know, it's hard. I mean, that, you know, we have to, you know, be grateful for what we have. And I think, you know, be grateful for improvements that we can get, you know, go, like you said, go to experienced practitioners, do the best thing you can. Um, but, you know, in the end, we're, we are just looking for improvement. Perfect. Um, okay. So if you had one thing, the biggest thing you had to explain to a patient about acne scars that you wish they knew beforehand, is there like one piece of knowledge you wish that every acne scar patient knew before they saw you say, like, okay, before I come in, I wish they already knew this. Um, you know, I, you could, if I could roll it back to the prevention piece, uh, it's more like, how could we prevent them? So, you know, when you have acne, get it treated, you know, I, you know, wish I could tell people when they're younger that not to let their acne go, you know, so I try to do a very good job of treating my patients, you know, from the medical practice of treating their acne, uh, and try to prevent that inflammation because once inflammation is set in, the scarring is set in, you, now you're dealing with that problem, which is a little bit harder to deal with. Um, I think, uh, nothing specific I can think of that, you know, it's really just all about prevention as far as, you know, you know, when you already have the scars in place, I think go to someone experienced. I think that's the key. Um, you know, you do, I do see a number of patients. I'm sure you do as well that, you know, go from place to place and, you know, and they may not be selecting the practitioner that's best for them at the outset. So I think it's important to listen, ask questions of your, of the physician you're going to see, you know, uh, you can go to someone who go to someone who's got the experience that does it all the time. Yeah. I, I think that just hearing you talk, you can tell that you are, I mean, besides reading all your, your, your studies and you can tell that you're so well-versed and understand this on such a, such a deeper level that, um, why would you go to someone who doesn't have that, that, you know, that background. And so for me, it's like, if you're going to choose someone, you know, choose someone who's passionate about that, who's focused on that, who, who can treat you on multiple levels. Uh, and, uh, um, I, I'm not going to bash any other, um, levels of providers, but for something like Bellafil, I would definitely encourage, uh, providers, uh, for patients to go to someone with experience. If you're going to go to someone with acne scar, you need to have a lot of tools in your belt. And, um, that, that's my, my take on it because, uh, sometimes I see so many patients, I'm not sure if you do, but so many patients who go to less experienced providers and some, maybe not up to standard of care stuff is being practiced. Right. I mean, and it's so common because um, some of the things we use have been commoditized quite a bit. So they're in the hands of a lot of people. So, and uh, you know, again, I agree with you. And, you know, I mean, I want everyone to do a great job. I want any practitioner that's going to pick up a syringe of Botox or a filler or anything like that to do an excellent job. And we well trained and we all have to do what we're comfortable doing. I advise, you know, patients not to do something they're not comfortable with. I advise practitioners as well, not to do something they're not comfortable with. I mean, you know, use that sort of your sort of your sixth sense, you know, your maybe your spidey sense, whatever you call it, your sixth sense that if you're not comfortable, don't treat. And that's key. So I have a non-related question. So your photo, you have like the cleanest cut hair. Now, when I saw you, you had like a matching ponytail. I was I was looking yep. forward to seeing this. Uh, there was only like two or three people who had ponytails. I was like, now that's a guy I know that uh, I want to talk to. So well, if you turn the recording off, I'm more than happy to show you. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. 
we'll do but, that. I, but I don't mind. I mean, I've been in all the meetings and everything. I'm, I have, yeah, yeah, my ponytail. Um, you know, I think after the pandemic, I just, uh, I grow, I start growing it and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let it roll. See how it goes. And, and it's just, I just never changed it. And, um, I've now gone to a lot of meetings and seen a lot of people and they're getting used to it. When are, um, I, I've had this debate. We'll see who's going to cut. When are you, are you ever going to cut your ponytail? Is it going to be one of those kind of, uh, I'm getting sick of it or it's a hot South Carolina day, or is it sort of, uh, who knows? Who knows? I don't have any plans yet to, I actually had a patient ask me that today. who was doing filler on, asked me about it. I said, you know what? I really don't know. I, I'm grateful for every single day that I wake up on this earth. And I'm going to just enjoy each one day by day. Love it. Love it. Well, I thank you so much for joining me on a, uh, a late Monday night. I mean, you are such a wealth of knowledge to, uh, uh, to me. I, I mean, I learned so much from just talking to you and uh, um, keep, keep doing what you do to uh, bring all of us up, bring all of our games up to, uh, um, with everything in every area of, um, of cosmetic and aesthetic uh, surgery. The same. And thank you for providing this important service to our patients. And since that, you know, you, you, you can't say enough about how important it is to get the word out and to, for us to have these kind of conversations so people can really hear. So uh, thank you for that service. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Masters of Beauty. If you like this episode and don't want to miss out on the next, be sure to subscribe right here where you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you really want to help the show out, leave us a five-star review and a comment or possible topics that you would love to hear Dr. Shaw discuss. We love hearing from you. To find out the latest updates from Dr. Shaw and Shaw Aesthetics, you can follow us on Instagram at Shaw Aesthetics and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Anil R. Shaw. You can find these links and any other links mentioned by Dr. Shaw and his guests during this episode in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Masters of Beauty. Thank you.